My guest is a son of Los Angeles. He is an alumnus of the University of San Diego and currently works in Memphis for the Commercial Appeal. Evan Barnes, welcome. How are you doing this evening? You know, I am great. I am actually excited. When you asked me to do this, I was um, I was curious because you know I, it's been a while since I've you know done a podcast away from work, mm-hmm. but it's fun because I think just like you, like this season of Stranger Things has been really fun, mm-hmm. and I'm loving to the fact that you're going to discuss it. So uh, it's good, man. And also, you know, getting to check in with you has been great. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. So the cool thing is, and I saw you you tweeted about it. And so I'm, I'm not worried about spoilers, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list in, the, in the, uh, the breakdown that there will be spoilers on this thing. So if you haven't seen it, you won't check in. You can put it down and, 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 want, and, and listen later if you haven't seen it yet. So it's season three of, uh, of Stranger Things. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Before we start, I just want to let you know, man, I, you, were, you were a great resource for me when you were working for the Southern California News Group. And I, I, was, I was torn because I was happy that you got a job with a pretty great paper uh, you know, in Memphis, doing a lot of cool stuff and working a very interesting beat. But I was sad to lose you in Southern California. What's interesting is sometimes in prepping for baseball or basketball or even football, mm-hmm. I'll go back and have an old Daily News or an old Daily Breeze article, and I'll see your name in the byline. So it's kind of like you're bumping into an old, you know, you're walking around the town and you're bumping into an old friend. So you know, your your presence is 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 well established and well known here in Southern California. And I I wanted to let you know that. Well, I appreciate that. And honestly, I didn't – sometimes you kind of take for gra- – not take for granted, but just, you know, you assume that some people read your stuff, but then others don't because it is high school sports compared to, like, pros or college. But I've had people in the last 18 months reach out and just say, hey, we miss you out here. You know, we really enjoyed your work. We really enjoyed how you carried yourself, how you tried to cover as many people as you can and didn't have any agendas. And that that's something I'm really proud of. Like, I, you know – the work we do as journalists, you know, you assume that, hey, people appreciate you, but you don't realize it until later on. But to hear people in L.A. say that to me, I I really do love and appreciate that. And, you know, it's almost like I still check on all the prep stuff because, it, you know, it was a part of me for over 10 years. And I, I'm fascinated just kind of like being removed from it. Like, wow, like there was so much going on there. And I don't know how we did it, but we did. And I was happy to just, you know, play a role in that. And for those of you initiated, you should follow Evan on both Instagram and Twitter because he's part of a very elite group in that you're a, <laughs> you're a sports writer who actually has very good taste in music and a very diverse taste in music. So I, we were just – before we turned the mic on, I was talking with Evan about some of his musical selections that he puts on his Instagram stories and also on Twitter. And so if you're a music guy, you know, you know Evan's a young guy, but, man, you got you got such a background – you know, going all the way back in all different genres, which I think is very cool. Well, you know what's funny is, so I was I was mostly raised around like a lot of church music growing up, and then uh-huh. we would hear some pop stuff here and there, and then get to high school, and obviously, you know, you get exposed to whatever on the radio, you get exposed to MTV, and then I have friends expose me to punk rock and whatnot, and then college, your mind just opens up more because you have more friends who have different tastes, and I just soaked everything up from there, and I think. I really do, and I and I and I love this theory. Downloading really did either expand your taste or make it grow deeper with what you already love, because right. you had so much access to music like ne- like never before. And yeah. so that really did shape me. And then as I got older and met more people and got my ears, you know, exposed to more, like I really enjoy talking about music as much as I do talking about sports because sports, I feel like, is still very much segmented towards if you care about sports, this is what you'll you know you'll you'll hear about it. 
music, I feel like everyone can talk about music. And yeah. I feel like that's what, what makes it fun. And I'm actually happy that I'm like most sports writers, and I'm not disrespecting this, this artist by saying it's like the majority of sports writers, I feel like they talk about Springsteen. And yeah. don't get me wrong. I like some Bruce Springsteen songs. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm a, I'm a Jersey kid, so yeah, so, yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. And I and I do plan on. I keep telling myself I'm gonna get into more Springsteen, but it's kind of fun when I can talk about Prince and yeah. we can discuss like, okay, we can talk about Prince or Stevie Wonder or whatever and have some fun with that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny. I'm a Jersey guy, but I kind of when I when I moved out and went to college, I kind of put Springsteen in the back, you know, in the rear view to to discover other 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 genres. And so it's cool because music is a big part of 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 Stranger Things. I'm gonna start at the end, at, Evan, with you. Mm. Uh, your thoughts on the ending of season three? Well, let's see. Um, <laughs> okay, so the last episode. So, we, are we going to go right to the last scene, or are we going with the last episode? We're going wherever you want to, my friend. This is a, right. your forum. All right. So, the last episode, um, I enjoyed it because I like the whole setup with like the Starcourt Mall being this like cultural center of the town, and it's kind of this nod to like you know '80s movies where many malls and shopping malls were the thing to be at. And I like basically how it just all came back to the mall, like the battle at Starcourt. And it's uh-huh. pretty much like everything's going down. And, you know, there were some parts of this, the, the finale that were kind of, you know, you, you figured out, okay, at some point they're going to get saved in the mall. And you figure out that Elle's going to find a way to make something happen. But what I really loved about that the finale was just kind of like how you really saw all the storylines that had kind of taken us into all these different directions, for better or for worse. It kind of came together in a very weird, uh, not weird, but it finally all made sense. Like the Russian angle, the the Susie angle, which we'll, I'm sure we'll probably discuss. Um, mm-hmm. The the friendship angles that everybody had. Um, Billy, uh, Billy, basically, you know, his his finale in that episode, like all of it came together in a really kind of fun, creative way. But I still feel like that last scene. I'm still kind of disturbed by it. Like I'm like. Is this really going to happen in season four? Where, um, shoot, I don't know if we could talk about it because I'm like, I don't want to. I almost don't want to. No, we are. That's that's the beauty of this. This is a podcast, so we can do spoilers. We're gonna. I'm gonna put clearly that there are spoilers in this, um, so that people who haven't seen it can wait to download it. So I'm gonna. I'll ask you the question: What happened to Hopper? Is Hopper alive? Is Hopper dead? Is he somewhere in between? I believe Hopper's alive because you saw at the end where they said, leave the American or not the American. I believe Hopper's alive. That was a nice little sly thing they put in there where Hopper basically must have like gotten in some like parallel universe and ended up in Russia. And he's there. I believe he's there because they can't, they wouldn't try to kill him off. Um, I'm more confused how in the world the Demogorgon has legs and is walking around like, yo, this is a next level, like, villain or evil thing i mean i'm not ready for that i i I don't know if i'm ready to see that that might be as creepy as seeing the the mind flare for the first time you know it's interesting and and i you know we're having fun with this you mentioned so it was a it was season three was so cool in that and i you know i'm right in the demographic for this thing you know born in the 70s kind of grew up in the 80s came of age in the 90s um so I like there were like four or five movies. So there's the Red Dawn angle with the Russians. Uh-huh. Obviously. Yeah. There's the Fast Times at Ridgemont High with the mall. There's the Billy storyline, which is Lost Boys. You know. Um, okay. Winona's okay. in it, so there's Heather's all over the place. Although not so much in this season. 
They had the little winks to Heather's in season one and season two. Um, and you know, you had the, you had the, uh, the, the, uh, the not Lucas, um, uh, you had the, you know, Dustin storylines in this, you know, there are a couple there's a stand by me angle, obviously with the, with the four kids and whatnot. So, so, so much came together and I, I really wasn't sure. I thought maybe they were going to write out, um, you know, that, that it was, this was the end for Hopper, but I'm wondering now if it's, he's back or there's a different twist, you know? So here's the, here's, here's my theory. When the Demogorgon is on legs in season four, it strips away its ecto skin, Evan, and it's Ivan Drago from Rocky <laughs> Four. That's, that's my thought. Uh, that, that would be pretty fun. Like honestly, like if it turned into some kind of like Rocky angle or something, because that's <laughs> what gotta be what what eighty six, eighty seven, I guess for the uh, next 86, season. Eighty six, eighty six. Maybe Apollo comes back. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I see. Ah, uh, yeah. But I think it should be something because they they, they really have, um, you know try to make that work but i think it'll be really interesting kind of where they where they go because i love all the references like the music first of all the music in there we go. is yeah. incredible just the, the the music supervision the way it fits in certain scenes like one of my favorite scenes was literally when um when max takes l to the mall and they go shopping and it's madonna's material girl playing like that was a perfect scene of a marriage of music right of trying stuff on Having fun. Girls it's her makeover, right? It's her makeover. Yeah, Elle goes to, she really joins the real world at that point. Yeah, and it's funny because obviously, you know, the song is, is, is superficial as all else, but you still, you see this legitimate friendship starting to really come together between the two of them. And it's a really cute, fun scene. And that's something that I really loved about, I think, the season. I was talking to somebody else about it was it really, you really saw the friendships evolve and grow in different ways and i think that's really cool because you know it showed kind of like how teenagers are you're friends with somebody for a long time you grow up you grow apart but you find a way to come back together uh you mentioned you you referenced this earlier i think in a lot of ways season three a big part of it is dustin's story not you know in 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 season one I think it was more obviously the buy you know buyers was Will's family and then kind of season two L and Hopper kind of get kind of more showcased in it. Um, Dustin gets a big showcase in moments in season three, and you mentioned Susie earlier. Give me your thoughts on that. So uh, just to refresh, so Dustin goes away to camp for part of the summer. Now this season three is set over the course of the summer. And he meets a girl at, at, I guess, science camp when he's out. And the beginning of the season, he's trying to get a hold of her on the uh, on the on the uh, the radio communication and unable to. Eventually, we do find her and we meet her, and she plays a pretty pivotal role in helping them solve the 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 the, the question or the or the uh, the uh, the equation that leaves them to be able to save the town of Hawkins. Um, what do you, what were your thoughts on the Susie storyline? So when it started, I was kind of interested because the, the first episode kind of revolves around Dustin trying to get a hold of Susie, and you almost feel bad because is Susie real? Is she not real? And when by the time you try to figure it out, you kind of forget about it because everything else is going on in the show, and you have the whole um, Dustin and Steve, you know, big brother, little brother vibe with um, Robin and Erica. Mm-hmm. Their whole story. So you almost forgot about Susie for a while. I was like, okay, you get invested in Susie, and then all of a sudden you forget about her. And then at the end, you're like, wait, Susie's real? 
<laughs> like he didn't make her up. He, she's actually a real person, and she's actually a real kind of nerdy person, like like Dustin is. Like it was kind of cute because it was really really fun. Um, but it was also kind of like weird because like everything's about to like you know go to chaos, and they have this moment, and I'm like, okay, all right. So so Gil, I got to ask you. What did you think about the never-ending story uh, part? Because I, I, I'm mixed on that. You know, it, at, it. I'll be honest with you. It first annoyed, it annoyed me a little bit, but as we got deeper into, and it, this happens to me a lot, uh, because you know, I went, I went to film school, so uh-huh. people say, "Oh, you probably can't enjoy blah blah." Well, yes and no. It's like you do kind of view things a little bit differently. But I had a prof- I had a great professor at UCLA. Her name was Linda Voorhees, and she had some very specific things when you're writing a script or coming up with a story. You need to do these these things. And she said, "Here's the here's the rule: if you want to break the rules, it's fine if you can sell it, right?" So Ooh. we we we'd pitch her a story, and she'd say, "Okay, I like it. I like this. I like this. I like this. This X thing X doesn't work, but sell me." You know, hmm. make me make, draw me in. And and that's kind of the way I, I felt about it. I first was like, oh, man, really? Are we going to go here? And then as they pay it off, I was OK with it because it was organic and kind of integrated to the other it, other narratives kind of were able to kind of mince together around it. What you don't want is something that takes you out of the flow or it's like, well, these four elements were all cool. This fifth element was almost like we were watching a different movie. It started off that way, but I felt they paid it off well enough to integrate it with the direction in which the story was going. Did you just you how 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 was your how did you feel about it? That is really interesting how you say that because um, I think you're right. Like if you do something kind of like the way that Stranger Things has kind of subverted like '80s movies in some way, yeah. it has to work. Like it has it either it's got to work or it just feels like you're paying you you know paying homage to stuff without adding your own twist on it. Um, so I liked it. I liked the idea. Okay, Susie comes in and they have this really cool moment, but the moment almost bothered me because you're you're getting to this climax where every storyline is starting to get together. They're trying to figure out how to stop this, you know, the mind flare and the Russians. Right. And then they have this like musical moment. And I'm and I gotta admit, as much as I do enjoy musicals, I also don't like random singing at like moments of a story that don't seem to like fit the plot. Like it's like the world's about to end, but let's have this scene along. And I'm like, <laughs> not now, guys. Like, have that moment at the end of the mo- at the end of the episode where you know somebody comes in and says, "Hey, guys, we don't have time for this. Let's you know get keep it moving." Almost, but I was kind of bothered by that. But it was kind of cute. It was fun. I was more just like, "All right, guys, can we get this at the end? Like, can we like save the day before y'all have this moment?" It's like. I was waiting for almost someone to come in and say, "Hey guys, shut up! Let's you know we got a yeah. you know, we got a problem here." Um, but, but what did you think? Like I, <laughs> you know, it, it 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 remember it kind of I was a little bit annoyed too in that you know Dustin for a large part of season three is really separated from the group, right? Mm-hmm. He's not with you know Mike and Will and Lucas and 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 now you know Max and L for the most part. He's like you were saying, and we got to talk about this too. He's got his own dynamic going on with you know with Erica and and uh, um, Steve uh, and uh, you know it's it's Ethan Hawke's daughter. I know plays yeah. the plays the role uh, Robin Robin. Yeah, Robin. So it, 
annoying is a strong word, but I'm like, okay, when you know, when are the when are the Wonder Twin powers going to activate, right? When are the four of them going to get back together and kind of combine their powers? And it really didn't happen. It was like it was kind of a couple of parallel stories. Uh, Midnight Run is another another '80s movie that was kind of you know incorporated, maybe paid homage to in in, in season three. Um, so because they were consistent with that. That's kind of the way the whole season ran, right? It was kind of a couple of different. They paralleled those three chases. There was the the Hopper and uh, uh, there was the Hopper chase with Will's mom, Winona Ryder. There was the ice, you know, the mall, the the whole thing at the mall with the Russians, with Erica, Steve, and Robin and Dustin. And then there was, you know, the other the other guys trying to figure out the mind flare and the uh, you know the you know Billy and the zombies. Uh, with the with the other people on the story, so you know, and usually, it, it, it's an interesting point. If this is season one, Evan, mm-hmm. I don't think that works. Mm-hmm. But because we've been these with these characters for two seasons and eighteen episodes and whatever, it worked a little bit better in season three. I mean, there was a choice they obviously made, but if they made the choice in season two, it probably wouldn't have worked as well as season three. Um, I really, I really enjoy. Like, I didn't expect to enjoy season three as much as I did, mm. and I really did enjoy. It. I don't know how you felt. So, so I enjoyed season. So, season one will always mean something to me because I watched it when I I was recovering from surgery and two years ago. I binged it that whole day. It was like one of the first times I've just binged through a whole a whole series in a day. So I I zipped through it, and it'll so it'll always remind me of just kind of like being at home, trying to recover from when I had my my um, nasal throat surgery. Um, so season one was great. Season two, I thought was cool because they added, you know, different characters. Will got to be a character versus just, you know, the, the figure to save. Um, I thought the music was cool. Billy was a really interesting character. So I, I thought it, it, it was a good season. I thought it was solid. Um, th- if I had to, I mean, I hate ranking the seasons, but I think season three kept everything going. Like it was adding, um, it added to what they're trying to do with the show, but it also kind of played in some really cool ways. Like I thought it was really cool how they basically had this whole like, you know, zombie type characters where these characters are basically, you know, invaded by the mind flare and you basically have these people like invasion of the body snatchers, if you will. Um, I honestly and selfishly thought that Billy was going to get it on with, um, I forgot that was, that was a, what Mike's mom. Yeah. Oh, that, that, I want to, to talk about that. Yeah. 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 Mrs. Wheeler. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll get, yeah. Okay. We'll get to that. But that that whole thing was I thought. Okay, we're gonna have a fun little a fun little weird moment with that, and then that of course led to Billy being you know invaded by the mind flare. Right. Um, I I thought they did some really good things with it. And I think the music was fantastic. I thought that they had some fun with it, and I think you really got to see L seeing how L's adjusting to being more human was really cool as well because she's become this, you know, idea or this like savior, but you really saw her struggle and deal with, you know, being a teenager, you know, and spoiler alert, spoiler alert here. What's, what does Evan Barnes for the record believe? Did she lose her powers at the end when she couldn't bring the teddy bear down? Or you think that's just, uh, that's just a little bit of a, of a MacGuffin there for something to come later. You know, I shoo, good question. Um, I think I feel like she's lost it in a way. Like, if she's lost it, 
then that makes you know her trying to be more human even more important because well, that, that's when you said that when you you kind of phrased it that way you might be a writer are you a writer Evan when you talked I, about I, her being more human it was like boom that's I I thought that but you 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 verbalize it kind of in in, in the way so I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm wondering that too I'm wondering that yeah I mean it it does make you feel like if the whole season was kind of playing this angle of her trying to understand who she is and be part of society and figuratively she's lost her powers I mean I. I don't know if she'll get them back, but I do think it's probably where she has to learn how to either adjust to her powers differently, or it just means that she has to basically be a teenage girl, you know, in Hawkins, basically with, you know, all, or no, wait, were they in Hawkins or did she, oh, she left Hawkins. They left, yeah, she left they with left. the Wheelers. Yeah, yeah so. We, we'll, bring that, we'll bring that up too. You brought up another great, great storyline. Go ahead. Uh, Mrs. Wheeler at the pool with Billy. So, Billy's a lifeguard at the pool, and these kind of uh, middle-aged housewives, they're all kind of lusting over him before he becomes, in essence, a zombie. It's a very I – think, I think Billy was kind of just – they plucked him out of the Lost Boys. So Cara <laughs> Buono, who plays Mrs. Wheeler, I have I've really tracked her career. She's in a couple of, of very cool things. She's in a favorite movie of mine from the 90s, uh, which is Kicking and Screaming, not the one with um, – with Will Ferrell, but the one that was the debut of um, uh, Noah Baumbach's first, he wrote and directed the movie. And mm. in that movie, she plays kind of the, the wisecracking teenager who works on campus, and she charms Chris Eigeman, who plays kind of a cynical recent college graduate, and they end up together at the end. And mm. then she was in The Sopranos, where she played uh, Chris Moltisanti's wife in season six. And ultimately, you know what happened? Another spoiler alert, what happens to Chris? And they have a kid together. And then, you know, obviously he dies in, in season six. It's, mm -hmm. a, you know, one season for her. And then she was on a couple of really interesting Law & Order episodes. So here, she kind of plays the, the, you know, the undersexed wife, the, 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 uh, the, the mother of, uh, of Mike Wheeler. And what's interesting, and here's another interesting layer on the show, Evan, is, is the families do kind of come from like different walks of life, although they all live in the town of Hawking. And mm -hmm. I guess you would say the, uh, the Wheelers are kind of the halves of the town. You know, they live amongst uh -huh. the halves. They got the Reagan Bush sign in, in their front lawn. So, yeah. so, here's the, so here's the scenario they're at the pool and they're all lusting after this teenage uh, lifeguard. And then he makes a proposal to her. And when they're supposed to meet is when he gets, you know, he gets uh, infused, if you will, by the mind flayer and becomes kind of zombie. Give me your take on how that all kind of went down. Cause I, I, I thought it was going in a different direction. I don't know what, what you felt. Okay. So say that part again. Cause it was, kind of, I, was, I was trying to get confused. So what are we, which part are we discussing? So we're when, discussing so, 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 uh, when he is trying to seduce Mrs. Wheeler, when Billy is trying to get her to meet him at that yes. hotel. Yes. Okay. So you know what that that scene reminded me of like another childhood favorite of mine. That scene, um, the Sandlot. Oh. Like the sand, the scene in the Sandlot where all the boys are at the pool and they're trying to get the lifeguard Wendy's attention and Squints. Basically, everyone's looking at Wendy like, okay, you know, she's beautiful, she's gorgeous, and then Squints is like, I'm going to take a chance. <laughs> but it, it just reminded me of that scene. Like, the whole pool lifeguard scene reminded me of the Sandlot. Um, but I thought that was really – like, the setup for that was like, okay, this is the first episode. You got Billy, who was just his total jerk in season two. Now he's a lifeguard. Now he's basically trying to go after – you know, basically take advantage of his, um, his prowess, if you will. And I thought they were going to set that to where it's like, okay, this is going to be a very interesting storyline where you got Mrs. Wheeler, who's basically this – goody mom who's going to basically 
you know, risk it all for this young, handsome, you know, hot young thing. And it makes sense. Like, I was like, okay, if that's where they're going, then, hey, that's where they're going to go. But just like any good horror movie, it feels like whenever there's a scene involving, like, um, a, a rendezvous or sex or something like that, something always goes bad. Like, if you look at a lot of horror movies, um, and one of my good friends in college, like, studied this. She said, like, how if, if you notice the most horror movies, whenever there's, like, a sex scene or some of those, like, love scenes, there's always something bad that happens. Like, it, it yeah. I don't know why, but something always happens. So it was fitting that before this even happened, Billy gets, you know, kidnapped by the Mind Flayer. And the so that function of the town revisits itself upon the other members. And that, that's, it's a, it's a common, uh, you know, horror, horror trope going way back. And so that's exactly what happens. He's going to have this affair with this married woman, but he never makes it. And he becomes kind of, he's the first of this army or this troop of zombies that infest Hawkins. Mm, yep. And he's basically like the leader of this, this weird, like crew army. And, I'm curious, what did you think about the scene where, um, the scene basically where Elle and uh, Max show up, and it's Billy, Heather, and the parents? That scene was, like, really trippy, because that's kind of where you saw, like, everything just go to, like, you know, start going crazy. Yeah, that's kind of one of those weird Cold War, you know, uh, Falcon and the Snowman kind of moments, right? Who's who, right? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Who's the threat? It was kind of a combination of the Cold War movies and the zombie movies, in a, in a sense. But yeah, mm. that that that's that's a great scene. That was very that's something out of Hitchcock, right? Mm, yeah, because it definitely. Hitchcock talks about if you have two people talking about baseball and you know something bad's going to happen, there's one level of tension. But if you have two people talking about baseball and you know something bad's going to happen and you can see the bomb ticking in the shot, it's mm. a whole different level of tension. And I think we saw the bomb ticking, the bomb being Billy, right? Yep. And it was just asking yourself, how bad was this going to get? And sure enough, it got real bad down there. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's interesting. Like, there are a lot of little, nice little subtle things. Like I, now that you're making me think about it, like the whole different storyline plots, you know, may not have been as bad as I thought because they were playing with different ideas and in each little storyline. And we didn't even get to like Steve and uh, Dustin's and Robin's moment. Um, and of course. Um, Erica, who okay, can I can I just say this about Erica? Like, Talk to me. Talk to me. All right, me. all right. So Erica was like the secret weapon in season two. She had her scenes, and she stole every single one of them. She was awesome. She was Lucas's brother, little sister. She was really really funny. She was really sassy. I loved it. But it felt like in season three they went overkill with her, basically like being sarcastic in every single scene. It was like okay, we get it. She's this fun character. She's this cute little sister. She's a very great comic relief. But I felt like they were doing so much. You just felt like, okay, we get it. Can somebody either put her in her place or can she put somebody in their place without like every line being overly sarcastic? Like it just felt like overkill with me. I'm a little older than you. Are you old? Do you remember what's happening? I, I do. I've, I didn't see what's happening, but I know of it. Well, she reminded me of D from what's happening, you know? So, you know, it, it's a typical 70s sitcom, teenagers getting in trouble. And, of course, Dee's the little sister, and she always finds everything out, you know. And there's always, uh. you know, and it was, there was always an exchange in them, you know. So they're trying to sneak off and go to the party. And so Raj, Rerun, and Dwayne are going to sneak off to the party. And Dee says, wait a minute, Raj. What happens if mom finds out that you're going to this party? And Raj says to Dee, 
mom's not going to find out I'm going to this party. And Dee <laughs> says, but Raj, what if I tell her? You know, dot, 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 <laughs> meaning, give me, you know, and then her whole thing was she wanted a quarter for, for to keep her mouth shut, you know. So Erica, to me, was kind of like D 2.0. She was kind of next generation D. They were a wealthy family, so it was a little bit of a different uh, beat. You know, I actually, I felt, I think, I thought Erica was just right in season three. They pushed it on a couple of scenes, but they went to other stories enough to where I thought it was okay. You're right. It was in season two, she was great because she was really limited, right? We would see her every three episodes. She would say her funny line and then go back into her room. Yes. and so I'm wondering about her role in season four, because obviously she's getting older. And then they had the realization that she maybe she's really a nerd, you know, because she's always ragging on Dustin and her, and her brother is Lucas, right? She's Lucas's uh-huh. sister. Yeah. So she's always ragging on her brother and their friends for being nerds. And then that's a big the last two or three episodes, you know, Dustin is saying, you know, you're you're a nerd, too, Erica. Don't don't be fooled by it. Um, but. That's a very good point that you're bringing up. So since we're talking about Erica, let's bring in the whole mall part of it with the ice cream shop with Steve and um, with Robin. And obviously Dustin and Erica play a big role in that because the Russians are the ones they discover them at the mall. And that's that that whole storyline that takes place at the uh, at the mall, which is which is a big deal. And this was the mall wasn't in season one or two. So this is the new incarnation in season three. And right. it's a lot of it is about the 80s. And it's interesting that because the mayor's office and the newspaper are also two big major elements in season three. Mm-hmm. And it's all kind of tied into the mall. So the mall comes into Hawkins and it dis- disrupts Main Street, you know, yes. which I think is a very interesting play, you know, considering the way things are going now with uh-huh. Amazon and whatnot. Uh-huh. Um, discuss that a little bit, sir. I mean, listen, you're a sports writer. From following you on Twitter, know you a little bit. I know you know a few things beyond sports, Mr. Barnes. Uh-huh. You you are correct on that. <laughs> and also, correct. you know, Inglewood, right? Hometown? That's right. Uh, raised in Inglewood, so... Some, you some see, similar things going on. You see how the new Rams stadium is basically... I should say Rams and Chargers, I guess. But the new stadium is basically kind of like threatening to uproot... Um, established businesses over there so i thought that was that i thought was a really interesting kind of like uh current evaluation basically how like the mall comes to town it's great everyone loves it but the problem is is they're squeezing out established businesses and we all can relate to that because we're seeing it happen everywhere where you see so many businesses that you grew up with or you're established with closed away and everything becomes this mega conglomerate um entity if you will and the corrupt mayor, played brilliantly by Carrie Elways, who is complicit in this kind of, you know, you know, he's lining his own pockets while kind of selling out the character of this little town, Hawkins. Yeah, I thought I thought his character was great. And again, you know, obviously a great nod to his, you know, 80s career from The Princess Bride in the 90s. Um, but I loved his I loved his character. I thought he was a great way to kind of like show the another adult who's kind of like you know not good not evil but just kind of like this shady adult figure who comes in and um again chews up the scenery really well like i thought he was well acted carrie did a great job kind of bringing everything out um so i i liked his character i was almost sad that he kind of got like a a little whimper (laughs) at the end right when they showed him being out in handcuffs i I thought it would have given him a little bit more but 
um, I I enjoyed him. Um, be, bringing back the town, talk about the town a little bit. The newspaper. That's something you have some expertise in. The local <laughs> newspaper. And uh, Nancy and Will's brother both work at the newspaper. And it's just really interesting. It's kind of a local, small-town newspaper, which, you know, if you've, if you've worked in journalism, you've worked at one of these things. And it's one of the places where, like, I got my start when I was a teenager doing some stuff for this kind, this kind of publication. Um, it really is kind of a missing part, one of the dying parts of small-town America, no? Yeah, I mean, you think about it, and one of the problems with our industry basically folding, you know, newspapers folding up, jobs being cut, is you always think about it in terms of, like, the bigger newspapers who are losing their influence. But in certain cities, like, those small-town newspapers have so much hold on the community and when those are gone that creates a problem because people don't feel like their issues are represented they don't feel like they're reflected on covering certain things and it really kind of reminds you that hawkins is this kind of like small town where so much is happening so it's it's really interesting just kind of seeing the role the newspaper played and obviously that was how um oh gosh why can't i remember her name uh nancy and jonathan basically were able to kind of like figure out what was going on as they using the newspaper to figure things out. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Like, Hey, you know, the small town newspaper reporters or interns, I guess in their case are kind of the ones who helped get this ball rolling a little bit. What, what do you think about that relationship between Jonathan and Nancy and how that kind of all, uh, so it changed, right? Cause the season one, it's all about Nancy dating Steve, who's kind of the big hotshot high school guy. And uh-huh. Jonathan is kind of the outcast. And now clearly you know, Nancy and Jonathan, they've developed their alliance. Uh, the, the triangle is kind of over. It's kind of Nancy and Jonathan together as allies mm-hmm. in attacking this, uh, you know, this this thing that comes to Hawkins. And now Steve, which we'll get back to, he's kind of almost pushed to the periphery after they've all graduated high school. Yeah, and I, I thought that was interesting because you almost forgot that, you know, Nancy and Steve had this kind of whole thing together. And I think Nancy and Jonathan's relationship was really crucial in the season because at first you see how they were together and then they kind of had their tensions um, working together and dealing with some things. And then at the end, um, you really kind of saw them again bond a little bit. I thought that was really cool because that relationship felt more felt more natural a little bit because it was more like. Nancy. Well, because they they developed that for three seasons, right? Right. Even right. in season one, they didn't tell us what the what the relationship was, but there was a backstory there that we didn't know about between the two of them, that these two characters. So here are two characters for the three seasons. They've always had some kind of a relationship, but we don't know a whole lot about it until really season three. Yeah, and it's interesting because you know they just really. Um, kind of just put that there, and it and it seems so natural. Like it just felt like it really, really worked. Um, and I like kind of how Steve's evolution going from like the hot the, the hot jock to like you know embracing his nerdiness or embracing his like down to earthness, where he can be like a big brother to Dustin, but still maintain the cool in a way. Um, and I, I I think that's been a nice subtle flip of the whole like super jock narrative, where there's always the hot jock in like all these '80s movies, but instead of being in that role, he ends up becoming like a much better, cooler figure. And that's more of a more natural fit for the show than him being basically this, you know, super jock, if you will. When I was a kid, Evan, there was a sportscaster in New York named Warner Wolf. And he would always say, let's go to the videotape. Let's go to the ice cream shop. Uh, <laughs> Robin and Steve. 
you know, we've talked about Steve a lot, and he's a character that's grown in the in the three years as we talked about. But how about Maya Hawk as Robin? I think she really steals part of season three with her performance. Yes, she was absolutely the. If you were to say the most like I don't want to say MVP, but someone who just came out of nowhere and just gave you so much with the show, I loved her performance. And actually, okay, so how long did it take you to realize? She looks so familiar, and then you realize why she looks familiar. Well, here's the funny thing is, when I first saw it, I thought it was an actress that I, you know, living in L.A. and having friends or actors. I'm like, I've, I've seen her. I've met her somewhere. I know what, where is she from. And it was probably like three or four ep- – I actually looked it up. I didn't realize that she was, uh, you know, Ethan Hawke and, and Uma Thurman's kid till I looked it up. Uh, yeah. and, and, but it was funny. that The vibe I got to say, oh, she's – so they're trying to make her like Uma Thurman. You know, like in mm. Pulp Fiction, that's uh-huh. kind of the vibe uh-huh. I'm getting from her. And I'm like, oh, of course, she's freaking, she's, you know, Uma Thurman's daughter. Yeah, and I thought about this, like, why is she look familiar? And then, boom, there you have it. Like, she yeah. is the spin image of Ethan and um, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. And it's like, oh, oh, now it makes a whole lot of sense where she has this, like, natural wisecracking personality that, you know, obviously reminded me of her mother. Um and I'm sure I'm sure Winona Ryder probably freaked out because I know she's acted with Ethan Hawke before, so she right, probably right. had her moments where she's like, "Wow, you know, this is crazy." Um, but I thought she was great. She was definitely the scene stealer this season. Like everything she said was dead on. Her being the one who knew Russian and being able to kind of crack some part of the code, I thought that was fantastic. Uh, I wanted more of her. She was absolutely a fun, fun character to bring into the, the mix. And um, I, I hope that they keep on bringing her involved because she she was absolutely like the spark. The And what, what this show is so good at is when they bring in new characters, it's always hard because you want to make sure how's it going to like add to or take away from um, the main storyline of, of the boys and L. Last year, they did a great job bringing in Max and bringing in Erica and bringing in all these other characters. Bringing in Robin, I thought, was so much fun because she brought a necessary balance to Steve in a way. Oh yeah. They, they knew exactly what they were going to do with her. They cast the right person and everything kind of converged uh, with, with, with her portrayal. I also want to talk about the Russian hitman because obviously <laughs> that's total Terminator. And it intrigued me because I know a little bit about the story. So originally with the original Terminator, Lance Hendrickson, was supposed to play the role. In fact, when when they were pitching the story around, he was the guy. He went, apparently, to one of the studio execs, and he kicked the door in in character to deliver the script to whoever Jim Cameron wanted to get the script to. So I'm like, wow, this is what what it would have been like if Lance Hendrickson had played the Terminator. It's a different, because he's not as superlative, you know, obviously, as Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's a different kind of, almost a darker, believe it or not, it's almost a darker portrayal of the Terminator. So I thought that character, first of all, it was awesome. He and Hopper had a couple of great battles, but it was a nice homage to the Terminator. And I thought it, 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 it just, it spun well with the tilt of the, the mall, you know, the mall storyline that involved the Russians. Yeah. I thought he was really, it was fun. Like that, that to me kind of like connected the Russian storyline to the main series, the main storyline. Cause I felt, yes. I felt the Russians were kind of there for like window dressing. Like it was a good nod, but I felt like they didn't bring enough to where it was like you're really invested. It's like, okay, the threat of the Russians, Cold War, okay, let's kind of keep it moving. But I thought him kind of like tying it together was really, really fun. And it was really cool to kind of see him and Hopper go back and forth. Because, of course, you know, 
you got to have the hitman battle with one of the characters. And um, I thought the battles were fun and, you know, you were invested and you were, you kind of wanted to see how he connected to the mayor and connected to everybody. And I thought they did a good job with that. Like that was a cool little uh, specter, if you will, of, of what the Terminator would, uh, would be like in Stranger, in Stranger Things. Um, and so we'll, we saved the best for last, obviously. Uh, Hopper and Joyce. And, you know, I'm of the generation where every male in my age group, we had a crush on Winona Ryder at some point. Uh-huh. You know, we, we dovetailed nicely from Lisa Bonet right into Winona Ryder. Um, <laughs> uh, so, and this is interesting because this is another similar thing to Jonathan and Nancy in that you kind of know in the first season the two of them have history. And then obviously they're bound when he goes to investigate Will's disappearance and they're further bound now that he's he takes in season two when he takes in L, um, and they're kind of just the 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 through line of the series the through line of the season is because they're just running around right it's it's the fugitive they're chasing around they're finding that old, the Russian reporter which we first met or the the reporter we first meet um, in season two with um, Nancy and Jonathan and so he's going to kind of help them solve this Russian riddle and mm-hmm. you know it's you know, Hopper finds out that Joyce is trying to move out of Hawkins. He doesn't want to move her out of Hawkins. Obviously, there's romantic feelings there, especially after the the, the fate of Sean Austin as Aston at the end of season two. Uh-huh. Um, give, give, give me your thoughts on that, because that really is the central relationship in season three, if not throughout the thread of this series after Will disappears in season one. So it was really, and I know I keep saying, I keep saying, wow, so really. Um, <laughs> so that relationship I thought was kind of this, you know, will they or won't they moment of, okay, fair. That's fair. Will they or won't they? Cause it was almost like, look, after Sean Astin's character died, that was a great relationship they have. But now it's like, okay, are they or aren't they? Cause it's been kind of simmering for a little bit now. And like Alexi and I forgot who the, uh, who was the, um, what's his name? The, uh, not the, the, the crazy conspiracy dude. Right. Um, right. With the beard. Yeah. yeah, can't remember his name, but basically, when he basically yelled at them and said, "Either do something about it, do it, or shut up," and I'm like, "Oh, that and that's oh that, that that's a great you know that's that whole that whole midnight run dynamic between all those characters is great." Yes, yeah, yeah. By the way, I'm learning a lot by you bringing in so many film references. I I love people who know film so where they can bring in different references. I feel like if you know film, it's almost like pulling the pulling the uh, curtain behind everything, and you're just like, "Whoa!" Like this is really well how you break this down so well so props well, to you, my man. i'm learning nice. i'm learning from that nice. um yeah, yeah. but yeah like that relationship was just kind of like okay let's let's kind of get to it like the arguments felt real the tension felt real the last scene they had together was just so heartbreaking i mean it was i didn't cry like other people did but i was invested in it you were just like okay this is gonna happen and you're feeling really sad about it but it's like either do it or it doesn't happen. And I thought they did a really good job, like playing that tension out. And um, it was, it was tough to see in the way it did, but I thought it was really fun just watching it play out as this, you know, this will they or won't they um, dynamic. And even with uh, Alexi being thrown in there, it's kind of like this silent rush. And it was like, okay, <laughs> it's just basically saying like, you guys need to figure this out and make this work. But um, what did you think? I, I, you know, Obviously, there was the, there, the, the tension was intended there. And what I love, so, so going back to the movie references, 
I've read an article about this and it, about like how you know a lot a lot of the biggest sin you can do in a movie is over explain stuff you know mm-hmm. and what I love so one of the greatest movies in my opinion is uh, is Back to the Future because we know there's some heavy stuff going on but every time somebody tries to explain it right something mm-hmm. happens and so we got to run off like oh okay. I'm Doc Brown. I'm. I want to introduce. I'm going to explain how this all. Oh, we we got to run away because this. So, and that's kind of what I felt they they played with this relationship. Is every time they had one of those moments when are they going to do? Are they going to kiss? Are they something happened, and you understood why whoever whomever it was. I think in the early going it was more Hopper kind of chasing, and then definitely in season three it's all Joyce played by Winona Ryder. You could tell there are obviously feelings on Hopper's side, but she's so focused on the magnets first, you know, and then yes. trying to figure out let's, we got to stop this thing. Uh, so, it, it, you know, and again, it was, it's like, we're talking about with the, um, never ending story thing. I think if you just looked at that storyline, it would get kind of annoying, mm-hmm. but you realize that, Oh, wait a minute. No, this is, they're doing this. There's a reason behind, there's a method to this madness. There's a reason for them to do this. And, uh, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it works, it works on a couple of different levels, uh, with that relationship, um, to, to digress for a moment, mm-hmm. what did you think about, uh, the, the, the Magnum parallels with, with Hopper, you know, with the Hawaiian shirts and all that stuff. Oh. So a friend, a friend of mine sent me there, they, they, they cut together a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Hopper scenes to the theme of Magnum PI floating around the internet right now. <laughs> I think I saw that. I haven't had a chance to look at it, but I think that, um, I thought that was fun, even down to the, the mustache and the shirts. Right. And I, I saw some people spoiling that on Twitter. So I was kind of like trying to avoid and not read too much into that. But I thought that was kind of fun. Like, okay, we get it. Like Hopper's going to be like this cool, you know, dad type figure. Who's like trying to like be the, the voice of law and order, except he's got this, cool personality to him a little bit so um i really really liked um <laughs> i like that twist and it, it was funny like hopper's character was you know the cool savior but now it's like okay you're now the dorky dad who's trying to infringe on you know the teenager's space so uh, like- murray bauman is the character murray bauman is the conspiracy toting reporter ah the, cool. the great scene you referenced it so they're all driving in the car. They've stolen a car uh, at a gas station, and they're driving the car, and they're arguing. You know, Joyce and uh, Hopper are arguing, and uh, Murray can speak Russian. Obviously, they can't. He's talking to Alexei, and he's explained to them is, oh, you know, they haven't slept together. And yes. the Russian guy just laughs heartily. Just he just laughs heartily. Do you know, kind of the wink to what you were talking about with the will, the, you know, will, will they or won't they? Yes. Uh, so uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, so the final thing we'll go. And, and thanks to Evan Barnes for hanging out with us. He's got actually a real job. He's got to actually go to work tomorrow morning um, <laughs> at the Commercial Appeal. Now, is it the Memphis Commercial Appeal or just called the Commercial Appeal? I mean, you could say the Commercial, uh, you could say Memphis Commercial Appeal. Like it's, it's the Commercial Appeal, but, you know, for purposes, Memphis Commercial Appeal is the, is the way to do it. But it is the Commercial Appeal. The town of Hawkins is a character throughout, and I think one of the big things about season three is we really start to see 
some different parts of Hawkins in season three. And of course they have the, the fair at the end, you know, kind of the big climax at the end, they have kind of the town fair at the end. And, you know, Mm -hmm. you're a city boy kind of, you know, like we're, we're both kind of city boys, but I kind of grew up in a little suburban town like that. And Uh, they have, they have events like this around air, you know, you can go to the OC fair or even the LA has a fair now. And, you know, I work out in Riverside, they have all kinds of events like that out there. How did you feel about that? That, to me, was a big part of the 80s kind of Americana of the, of the show. Yeah, and I remember watching, like, 80s shows where they kind of had this, like, town center or this big moment in the town. Like, even, like, the 90s, you had the Sandlot, where there's a scene where they're all watching fireworks together and then they go play baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, or you have, like, the pool where they're all together. There's always that center in all those movies where everything kind of just comes together in this big climactic moment. Um Karate Kid had it at the uh, the Valley Tournament. Um, mm-hmm. I, I liked it because it kind of was this whole, like you said, the town's coming together, everything's happening in one place, and everything starts to converge in one moment with, you know, the the Mind Flayer coming, the Russian hitman taking out Alexi, um, the mayor kind of like getting, you know, his comeuppance a little bit. I like that idea because it just kind of reminded you, like you said, Hawkins is so central to this whole story and it comes together in this climactic um, cultural center, if you will. Um, so I, I really did like that. Cause it just reminded you, like you said about how small this town is, how these events are so massive where the mayor comes and speaks at this event. Like you wouldn't see that in LA where um, Eric Garcetti speaks at like some small rinky dink event or whatever, you know, maybe you would. Okay, you know what? You might because Eric Garcetti is an LA guy and he understands the value of community. Like he he might, but there is something about a small town where the mayor kind of is like you know somebody you kind of see walking down the street. You know, um, right? Like yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. It's 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 like you know um, where I grew. I grew up small town mayor. His family, you know, you you you'd see him in the street and you'd see his family like. Where I grew up in New Jersey, the mayor's son was like he was the barber, so he owned the he owned a barber shop in the middle of town, you know. Mm. So you 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 interact with the family, you know, and 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 it's it's a it's a little bit different, um, you know. In the Midwest, obviously, there's a different dynamic to it, and this seemed to me to really have a stand in in a lot of ways for you know it's set in the '80s, but a lot of what's going on as we discussed uh, is going on there too. Uh, but I just I just like kind of how they demonstrated just little. They weren't over the top about it. There was the subtle we mentioned earlier, the Reagan Bush sign in the Wheeler's uh-huh. yard. Uh-huh. And then in Dustin's single family home, he's got a he's got a Mondale, you know, he's got a Mondale sign. They got uh-huh. a Mondale sign in their yard, you know. So I think that was actually season that might have been season two, but um I mentioned it because I was walking where was I the other day? Where I was walking around the other day and I saw a guy with a Reagan Bush eighty four shirt. And I'm not <laughs> sure if that because he looked didn't look like he was old enough to be alive in eighty four. Was he really making a political statement, or was that a Stranger Things statement? You know what? And I see people here wearing like Hardaway, like Penny Hardaway, Mike Miller shirts with that same like '84 logo, like Reagan Bush. Oh. You know, I've seen that around. It. So I think it might be a fashion statement almost by some of these like hipsters who are like, "Oh, this looks really cool, haha!" You know, I'm gonna you know wear this shirt because it's retro and it's you know it looks cool or whatever. So I wonder if that might be it too, where um, you see that coming back. But I thought. I do think it was really interesting. Like season two really kind of showed that, you know, real life coming into everything with like the Mondale stuff with the Reagan stuff in the driveway. Um, so I thought it was kind of like a fly nod to 
what's going on in the real world so that you know this is firmly set in the 80s. <laughs> you know? You know, before before we go, we haven't really talked a whole lot. The 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 first season really is centered around the friendship of the four kids. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously they've grown and they're gonna do a season four. They they they've already said I don't know if they've officially announced it, but all indications are there will be a season four of Stranger Things. Before I let you go, give me those final thoughts on uh, the group of friends. You know, Mike, Will, Dustin, Lucas. It's kind of a little Stand By Me thing, a little bit of a sandlot you mentioned a couple of times. Where have they gone now from the start of season one to the end of season three? Where are these kids now? And I, and I think that is the underlying theme of season three is friendship. Um, I think that you really kind of see the friendships grow and evolve, like the foursome of Mike, Lucas, Dustin, and Will basically get challenged to where, you know, they're not the same little kids anymore who would play, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and, you know, hang out at the arcade. Like, they're growing up. Like, Mike and Elle have this relationship. Lucas and Max have this, you know, on and off tension in their relationship. Um, Dustin comes back and realizes that, you know, hey, everyone's not into the same things. And Will, who the poor thing had to kind of, like, go through season one, this traumatic experience, you know, he's kind of having to deal with that. So it's really interesting kind of seeing how the friendship grew, evolved, how Max went from being like this outsider to now she's in the group, but the boys still want to have their fun. Although the boys also want to have their couples time. And then the girls get their own friendship, which I think is cool because let's not forget this show is really subverting a lot of like eighties tropes. Like, the mm-hmm. friendships, like all the friendship movies in the 80s, a big majority of them are male. And to be honest, a big majority of them are white men mm-hmm. or white kids, you know. So you have Lucas in there to kind of like throw that off. Um, right. You also have, you know, you don't have a lot of female characters who are really, you know, the center of the movies in this way. And Elle and Max's friendship was really, really cool to see because not only did it add this dynamic of, hey, they're teenagers, guys and girls are going through different things their friendship blossoming was kind of giving Elle a chance to see how to be not just one of the guys, but also be a girl. You know, know, it's great that you bring that. And I, and that's, I, that's bad on me for not bringing it up. Um, Season two, a lot of season two was kind of Steve learning about Dustin and counseling him on through some of his awkwardness, you know, the, 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 what are the objective Carlotta as they call it was the hair, right? Uh-huh. Uh, teaching him how to use hairspray, you know, for the joke is that Steve kind of patterns himself after Tom Cruise. So <laughs> now in season three, we have Max kind of schooling Elle on how to deal with her relationship with Mike while at the same time she's dating Lucas and they break up every every week, right? Yes, yes. And that was, to me, like, really kind of funny how they had, like, this on again, off again. And um, also that's another interesting trope. Like, again, a lot of 80s movies, there was a lot of, like, interracial you know, relationships. And granted, they never really brought that up in Stranger Things. But again, that relationship was different, you know, different than most like 80s tropes. So that was a nice little flip. And um, yeah, I mean, just just seeing how they really came together. They they fought. They hated each other. They loved each other. They always came back to each other. And I think at the end of the day, all these great, you know, 80s shows about friendship, it really highlighted in the season of Stranger Things where you saw the friendships challenged. You saw the friendships forced to deal with certain things, but at the end of it all, they still stayed together. And when they left, you could see everyone was obviously sad that Will 
and L were leaving because that was part of their crew, you know, and and that's, and it kind of, like you said, it was almost like Stand By Me where they all have this really great adventure and then they separate, you know? I know I, I'm going to let you go, I promise, but you did bring up something that, that, that kind of ring with me because it happened in a different movie too. The character of Lucas and his family, they're African-American living in this little town, Hawkins. Uh-huh. It's not referenced a whole lot, right? They're just allowed to kind of be their family as it was. I bring it up, I just saw about a week or two ago, I saw yesterday, where the main character living in England is South Asian, right? He's in, in, he's Indi- Indian descent, it's him and his family. And it's really not an issue at all in the context of the story. I mean, he happens to be this, and then the story kind of takes place around it. I feel similarly about Lucas in that he, him and his family are obviously an African-American family living in Hawkins, but there's not a lot made of it. Is that good? Is that bad? Is that indifferent? Where, where, where do you, you know, where, where do you, where do you lie on that where, in, in, the, in the middle of that? Well, it's, you know, it reminds me of season two where for some reason, Billy did not like Lucas and I saw it as like underlying racial tension where, where That's Billy, fair. That's fair. Well, yeah, because granted, Billy was a jerk to everybody, but it felt like for some reason, whenever he saw Lucas and Max together, he got really, really upset. And I, for some reason, I, I interpreted that as like kind of like a sly, subtle hint where they didn't maybe say it was race, but I took it interpreted as it's kind of a racial thing where he may not like her because she's seen that person, which again would fit in with the '80s, where that would be right. something that comes up. Um, but I also think it is it is pretty interesting how they just kind of get to be in that in the, in that show. Like Lucas and Erica are just characters, you know. Right. They're not, right? You know, their 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 race has never made a central theme. Um, and again, part of that could also be '80s, where um, race was either something that was quietly discussed or woefully um, done poorly, as Sixteen Candles has shown okay. over time. It is aged poorly. Um, but I was, you know, it was interesting. Like, I think it's good that you really kind of see the friendship of those characters not really bring it up as much. But I would be curious to kind of see, like, you know, how is that going to play out if this show carries on? Like, are they going to mention, you know, are they going to make Lucas, like, some, like, really good athlete, you know? Or are they going to make Erica this continually, well, he, well, like, but, he, but he isn't, right? He's kind of a nerd. He's kind of a nerd. Yeah, That's kind of cool. Yeah. No, I think it is really kind of cool. How it just kind of, like, it's there. Um, and I'm not somebody who likes when characters are kind of like thrown in to be like this racial red herring or a little bit to be like this awkward racial discussion. But I do also like when it does come up and discussed in a very intelligent way, but also at the same time, it goes back to the idea of kids being kids and you grow up with your friends. You don't realize what they, you don't realize the differences you guys have until you get older. You're like, Oh snap, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like this. So I think it is kind of cool that, you just have this, you know, this African American family in the show, and you now have two characters who play really crucial roles, and they just get to be. And I think that is kind of cool because you don't really get to see that a lot in some of those like early uh, '80s movies. Yes, and especially in the genre that they were dealing in in, in Stranger Things. So yes. he is Evan Barnes from the Commercial Appeal. He's a son of Los Angeles, but he's out in Memphis now. And you can follow him on Twitter at Evan underscore B. He is also on Instagram. I highly recommend watching his Instagram stories, particularly when there's music involved. I know you're very busy. I really appreciate you carving out this part of the day for me, Evan. I appreciate it. 
Hey, no problem. I had fun talking about Stranger Things, and I'm glad you did it because it kind of just was a nice distraction from from work, if you will, to kind of like say, oh, we could talk about other things instead of just sports and and everything else. So it's kind of cool. So I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, man, anytime, bring me on. We'll do it. We'll do it again soon. And I I, I just needed somebody I could talk spoilers with, honestly, Evan. So I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Let's do it again, man. All right, sir. Be good.